Welcome, Highfalutin Ski Bum Podcast, episode number 115. It is your pals, Mario and Brian. Mario, what is up? Not much. Getting ready for a nice, fun ski week coming up. And you, uh, you've you been enjoying some snow out here. Yeah, man. I was just uh, up at Killington this weekend. They got two, two-ish feet of snow. Damn. And it was it was a really fun couple days. A lot of the runs, a lot of the tree runs that, you know, rarely are open or are super sketchy with rocks and ruts and logs hanging around were in beautiful shape. So wow. had, a, had a real good time. Um it was pretty crowded up there. I mean, obviously when it there's a big dump, it brings a lot of people out, but I think yeah. a lot of colleges were off too. So a lot of uh or yeah, college and high school, so a lot of a lot of people were up there, but it was a, a beautiful time. Yeah, it's getting spring break time, so I'm sure it was, it was the early breakers going out. Yeah, and plus, you know, when you get a dump like that, people uh, people tend to make special plans to get up there. People quit their jobs for that. <laughs> I, I cannot say I blame them. It's a beautiful oh, thing. It's great. <laughs> yeah. So thank you all so much for listening. We really do appreciate it. If you could, please go to your favorite podcasting apps and subscribe and rate us. Five stars would be would be best, of course. Um, if you could. Also, more information, check us out, skibumpodcast.com. You can email us, skibumpodcast at gmail.com. Socials, twitter.com slash skibumpodcast, facebook.com slash skibumpodcast, instagram.com slash skibumpodcast, soundcloud.com slash highfalutin dash ski bum and pinterest we are the highfalutins <sighs> i need a drink after that lots to say well speaking of drinks it's time for our pray today so I, I guess i'll start off while you're drinking um i am drinking something that is uh gonna be it's uh, we'll talk about it later but it's kind of germane to our uh podcast today uh, I'm drinking a little bit of Lord Hobo Boom Sauce, which is their IPA, uh, 7.8 ABV. Um, is it a double or a single IPA? They just they, they're just saying IPA. They don't say double. Oh, okay. So uh, they're saying it's one of their New England style IPAs, complex, unfiltered beer with great drinkability. So uh, it has a little, uh, you know, they do the mosaic hops. If if uh, anybody doesn't know that tastes like, it's a little bit. Not necessarily citrusy, but kind of like on that little side of of flavor. Uh, they say you these six hop varietals blend a spelt oat and wheat and wheat, um, and then they put the mosaic hops in there. Um, they're saying a little bit of citrus flavor and tropical fr- uh, fruit finish, which I I concur with. Uh, and what I like about them is they come in uh, big boys, so seven point eight percent, and it's a natural pint uh, pint can. So very boy. nice. I'm. Taking it, uh, I'm gonna be a little bit of a teetoddler, toddler. Is it toddler or toddler? I guess toddler because uh, toddler. A toddler would be someone who's like a little person. <laughs> That's right. So teetoddler today. It's you know, right. This goddamn daylight savings time is the stupidest thing that we still do. Time, everything we we're just so momentum based, where we do something and we just keep doing it because we've done it for as long as we've known, and this nonsense has to stop. I, I don't know who the hell thinks it's still a good idea. It's but, not. In modern day age, it doesn't make sense. No, it's foolish. It's unnecessary. I, I'm, it's, I'm getting sick 
and I'm annoyed and I don't want to do be either of those things because I'm getting ready to go skiing as well in the next week. So I am trying to be a little proactive and I am having a traditional medicinals, organic echinacea plus. Nice. Make sure you don't get sick. Yeah. And, but I am drinking it out of a Whistler Ooh. coffee cup. Very nice. That's where we're heading in just a few short days. Cannot wait. Yeah. It's going to be nice. Yeah. So now it's funny, like, you know, they, these change the clocks back and forward, I guess, for farmers, right? Yep. Why did they have to change the clock? Couldn't the farmers just wake up an hour early on a certain day? Just say, look, on this day, we're going to wake up at five. On that day, we're going to wake up at six. What's up with that? That could have worked. Just saying. Just saying. We have to change the world to accommodate some people. People could have changed to accommodate time. How about that? Yeah. We, uh, we change for the minority, unfortunately, these days. So yeah, it's outdated. It's silly and it needs to end. So they don't change the clocks in Whistler, do they? What's that? They don't change the clocks in Whistler, do they? I have no idea what they do in Canada. It's all different planet up there. It is like they do different. Everything's different. Yeah. Metric, right? They have metric time up there. Metric time. It's (laughs) yep. 10, hundred past 10, 99 past 10. (laughs) That's right. All right. Uh, so while we're talking about Opre, let's talk about something new that's uh, hitting the scene. They're saying since 2016, uh, there is a rise in the appearance of what's called glitter beer. They're saying glitter beer brings a sparkly new look to your favorite brew. So after reading through this, it really appears that it's just edible glitter that they put into the beer. And when it swirls around, it looks really cool. I mean, it looks badass. Um, but I don't know. It's a gimmick. I guess uh, my question is, does it come out in your poops where it's like glittery poop then? Well, I don't know how you were able to put glitter and badass in the same sentence, but somehow you did. I mean, it looks, look at it. It looks like uh, you're drinking something out of like the, the future. Like if you were in a foil suit, like you would definitely be from a movie in the future drinking this. And they have that picture uh, on the bottom. It's actually a video. Two Birds Brewing is is launching a Stardust IPA, which is a tribute beer to the late David Bowie, which looks pretty cool. That is pretty cool. I can get behind that. You get behind that, right? Yeah, that I can get behind. So it makes it look funky. I know it's a gimmick, but I guess if they brew with it, then it's technically in the brew. So why not? People put all sorts of crazy stuff into beer. So it's like soda, like effervescent. The way it moves and spirals. That's Interesting. See, badass. I don't think I go quite as far as to <laughs> badass. I'd say intriguing. I'm from the future. Yeah. Yes. Yeah, so. not moving around. My move. <laughs> so they're saying it started. Uh, Huffington Post detailed it, uh, and they're saying it was one of the first out there to say it was you know one of the wild things that came out. And they say Mermaid Tail Beer from Seabright Brewery in Santa Cruz, California, I guess kind of started this. Um, and they said um, they added like all this cool stuff, lemon drop hops, blood orange flavoring. And then they added the edible glitter to the mix. And just from there on, people were like, I, I need a sparkly, shiny, <laughs> glittery mess. I mean, so you could put that into anything. But. This could be big news for PDR. They could, you know, if they want to update it and make it a little more... You know, appeal to the uh, the ladies or the younger crowd. Put some glitter in there. There was something I was reading on the Oscars where they were saying how I think it was was it Wolfgang Puck, one of the famous chefs. I guess classically does 
you know, um, I think he's done it every year for a number of years, but they always have this big famous dinner after the Oscars, all gold theme. So they were saying like all this stuff had like real gold in it. So I'm like, well, these people are just eating real gold. And I'm like, yeah, that's great, but it's not great for your body. <laughs> Put it that way. No, didn't like everyone who played uh, like from the GoldenEye movie or whatever, what was the James Bond movie where everyone was in gold? Man with the golden gun, um, golden gun. Was that what it was? Like everyone who got the gold paint on them, like that's really, really sick. Hey, that's awesome. Yeah. Yeah. It's, it's not a uh, metal that's happy to the body. Let's put it that way. No. So, hey, but if you're rich and you want to eat it, go right ahead. Go for it. So now we're going to make a quick little mini stop. Let's get into the Genjula. So this week, it has been the week, as we mentioned last week, the, the strain that was chosen would pertain to his trip to Jackson Hole. And this time is a similar, similar choice based on his destination. And it's called Time Wreck because it's perfect for Jackson where you have deep snow and good times with friends and you make time stand still. Bred by TGA Genetics, Time Wreck is a 70% sativa cross between Vortex and Blood Wreck. The sour, fruity flavors of Vortex enliven Trainwreck's subtle, earthy aromas with pungent notes of lemon, lime, sandalwood, and pear. Time Wreck's high times cannabis-winning THC content delivers potent relief to severe medical symptoms, but novice consumers should be wary of this sativa's intensity. In large doses, time wreck induces a disorienting euphoria that begins to justify the strain's name, but smaller amounts are more likely to bring on engaged creativity and energy. Time wreck typically produces moderate indoor yields following its 60 to 70 day flowering time. Hmm. Large doses, disorienting euphoria. That sounds that's pretty freaking awesome. That sounds awesome. Yeah, what's bad about that? So the big effects, euphoric, happy, uplifted, energetic, and then talkative is pretty high up there too. So I guess you just get high, happy, and just start talking like crazy. Uh, let's look at the negatives. Dry eyes and dry mouth and good amount of anxiousness. It seems like a small price to pay. Well, well the anxiousness isn't that big, but it's the dry eyes and dry mouth. So yeah. you got dry mouth and you're talking a lot. So that's going to be pretty funny, actually. But that's a small price to pay for disorienting euphoria. <laughs> hey, they say it's excellent for stress, really good for depression, very good for pain and fatigue, and I guess pretty good for eye pressure. I don't know what, what that means, but eye I guess if, well, I guess if you have uh, glaucoma, that's what yeah. I, you know. Yeah, that's true. So that's the medical piece of it. So that sounds, I don't know, my mom has glaucoma. I think I'm out to get her some of this. There you go. go to my Help her out. That's right. It's in time wreck. So thank you, Frank, for passing that along. We'll have to. Got to get him on the show soon. We'll have to hear how his trip to Jackson was. Yeah. Yeah. Let's go to ski news. So big story this weekend. Michaela Schifrin wins her fifth slalom championship in six seasons. Michaela Schifrin added a second crystal globe in as many days to her ever-growing collection on Saturday. 
A day after locking up her second straight World Cup overall championship, the American secured her fifth season title. Damn. The slalom. Schifrin formally won the discipline title as soon as the only remaining challenger, Petra Velova, failed to get into the top two result, which the Slovakian skier needed in the second-to-last event of the season. So, yeah, Michaela has done it again. Fifth slalom and second World Cup overall. That's wild. It's amazing. Turning 23 tomorrow. It's unbelievable how young she is and how amazing she has done so far. So 23, if she stays healthy, she could see another, what, three Olympics, right? Yeah. Two, at least two. That's that's probably pushing it. Well, how old is Lindsey Vaughn? Because she's retiring. She's 34. Right now. So, yeah, that would put her at, that would put her at her, if Michaela did three more, she'd be 34 30. in that last one. Three more, yeah. So that's uh, possible. It's possible, yeah. With skiers, it all depends on the health, you know, how well you are and any injuries you get and how well you bounce back. Yeah. Tough one. So congratulations, Michaela. That is an unbelievable, fantastic achievement. Incredible. Next up, we got uh, after huge snowfall, two inbound avalanches hit California ski resorts. So there's a bunch of this going around. There's a bunch of uh, blurbs we got, but... um, so two people died in avalanches in the backcountry and the in Washington's Cascades. Uh, so, uh, and then three more died by falling in tree wells uh, at Mount Bachelor um, and California's China Peak. So, uh, missing snowboarder was found in the trees and uh, near Squaw Valley. So, there's a lot of stuff going on. People got to be really kind of careful. So, um, yeah, it's just. A lot of stuff going on. I think I'm reading all over the U.S., even in, in Europe, there's a, there's a lot of avalanches. There's a lot of snow falling in places. So, Yeah, you know, we've talked about it in the past, how, you know, all, we're always searching for, for powder and chasing powder. But, you know, along with the positives of, you know, getting to ski it, there is a lot of danger and a lot of potential negatives that are there. And, you know, what went down on the West Coast last week was a classic example of, of just that. I mean, it's, it sucks. You know, it really is sad that to have that many people dying from all these different incidents in, uh, in different ways, too. Yeah. I mean, you know, the avalanches really freak me out. But I tell you what freaks me out even more is the tree wells. They're saying through separate intri- uh, incidents at Mount Bachelor. Uh, snow uh, Mount Batcher and then uh, the one at China Peak. One ski boarder, one snowboarder and skier fell into tree wells in separate incidents and were covered by snow. So they like, I guess people couldn't even find them. Oof. That's freaking terrifying. Yeah. Yeah. So, I mean, you know, you, you, all you can really do is just try to avoid those, you know, getting that close to trees and make sure you're always, you know, skiing or boarding with, with a buddy. We were talking about the Avalon today. Yeah. Earlier. Um, that's a good piece of equipment to have. Maybe it comes in handy. Maybe it doesn't, but you never know. Yeah. If you're going to be out there in the powder, just be careful, people. Make sure you know you have a, a plan, you have all your gear, and be careful. That's all you can do. 
speaking of that, uh, you know, big storms hit all over the United States and Canada last week. You know, we mentioned it earlier in the podcast that, you know, I was up in Vermont, up at Killington, and they had two plus feet of snow. There was um, other parts of Vermont, particularly the Stratton Mount Snow area, which is a little further south. They had three plus feet of snow. Damn, that's a lot of snow, man. There was a video that Mount Snow posted where they're like, this trail was groomed at 4 a.m. And then it shows a guy skiing down. Like, this is 7.30 a.m. It's like to his knees. Damn. Yeah. It was pretty, uh, pretty remarkable storm. It hit really hard. Um, pretty nuts. Yeah, so all over, in, specifically last week in the east, uh, Vermont, New Hampshire, New York, and Massachusetts got hit. And you know what? It's nice timing, too, because the one positive about daylight savings time is that, you know, towards the afternoon, you do have a little bit more sunlight. So if you want to be out there until 4 or 5 o'clock, you have that ability now. You have you have enough light that you can go out there and ski a little bit longer. And now with all this snow, a lot of the mountains will still be able to be open the next, you know, three, four, five, six weeks. Yeah. Which will be nice. So plenty of time to get some turns in the rest of this, you know, late late winter, early spring season. Where's the old three? Just just right looking at it that way. Yeah. Really only ski until three o'clock then. <laughs> <laughs> Right. Mm-hmm. Uh, let's see. Copper Mountain transforms Center Village guest experience with the replacement of two chairlifts for the 2018-2019 season. So Powder, the parent company of Copper, <laughs> announced that they are going to continue enhancements um, to give uh, better guest access to the mountain. Um, so they're saying that they're going to put in. Uh, they're going to replace the American Eagle and America Flyer list with high-speed combination and bubble-style lift service uh, slated for next season. So, uh, of course, they got to get approval, but they're saying replacing the most popular mountain access list will significantly prove how guests experience some of their best skiing and riding on copper. So it's good to see a lot of a lot of resorts are announcing. Uh, and it's funny, it's kind of, it's almost funny because it, it's like a press thing right now. Like they want to get into the press and, and get the best bang for their buck, you know, for all the money that they're spending. But uh, when it comes down to it, a lot of resorts are spending a ton of money on, on improvements, which is just good for everybody skiing. Oh yeah, definitely. Yeah. It's one thing that's interesting too, since you know, this is a powder resort, Copper Mountain, they've announced all these upgrades. And then last week, Killington, another powder resort, announced a whole bunch of upgrades. And both of these announcements were right just around the time where the new Icon Pass, which both of these resorts are part of, went on sale. Nice. So very convenient timing, very strategic on their ends because, they, you know, with this new pass coming out, they want to make sure people are interested and they're buying it. So put as much good news out as you can around the time of the, the first sale. Look at the value you're going to get out of the past. That's what they're trying to promote, right? Yeah. I think we're going to have to do an episode right before, right before the first, you know, like they usually do it in, in like chunks of time where you get it at a certain price if you buy it early enough and then it goes up a little bit. Yeah. Right before that first uptick in price, we should do a review of all the different passes to kind of let people know what options they have and and what, you know, based on where they live and where they're looking to ski, what pass is the best for them. Well, because, you know, they're all going to compete at the last minute with something extra they put in there, some little, 
you know, get some bucks at your, you know, some dollars to spend on something or, you know, you never know. Like I'm at, it's getting very competitive with it, but in our favor. Yeah. And then they're always trying to, you know, like poach the rest of the resorts that are not part of either one of them yet to, to give more options to people and make it more intriguing. Damn. It's all good. Yeah. Next is kind of scary. Um, There's a video out there that shows a girl that's rescued after she slips and is dangling uh, from the Bear Mountain ski lift. Um, So this video is showing uh, the rescue of a small girl. She skipped from the ski. She slipped from the ski lift over the weekend. Tito Garcia of Irwindale was in line for uh, ski lifts at Big Bear Resort late Saturday morning when he heard the commotion uh, and people were yelling, stop the lift. Um, so he noticed the girl is hanging, um, and, uh, yeah, they, uh, they went out and they, they rescued her from that and she wasn't seriously injured. So it's a crazy video though. Yeah. I guess they got that mat out there that they have got that out there quick enough and the instructor, yeah, was able to hold her up. That's really scary. And you want to dropped her right on that thing. It's like a blanket, like, you know, those a blanket thing they just kind of dropped her in there like an old-fashioned jump jump from the window you know yeah yeah i wonder i wonder what exactly happened there if she yeah i guess i don't know if we'll ever know but well a lot of the lifts like for small children uh especially out in europe i saw it everywhere it's a little bit annoying for like a big guy like me uh you get into the lift and they actually have like you know a separate like almost like a, a little bar when the, when the, when the, you know, when the bar comes down, there's like another separate bar that kind of comes between your, your crotch and it's designed for small kids. So it holds them in, but mm-hmm. for an adult, it's kind of cutting things close if you're not paying attention. So you just have to watch, but I think that's why they, they started putting more of those uh, now because it is kind of, you know, if there's nothing there, you could really slip right out. Yeah. So, especially with the smooth, you know, snow pants, Slippery snow pants. Yeah. And you, you know, so many weird little things can happen when you're on the lift. I actually had an incident this weekend, which was one of the dumbest things I've ever had happen on a ski lift. Uh oh. I was in, so we were, we just skied a run and we went inside, to take a little break, go to the bathroom. And, you know, it was one of those breaks where we, you know, took your helmet off, took your gloves off, sat down for a bit. So we're done. And as I was getting ready to get back out, you know, I put on my gear threw my helmet on, didn't buckle my helmet, made note that I didn't buckle it and go, Oh, I didn't buckle it. That's cool. Went outside, bumped into some people, chatted for a bit, got on the lift. And as I was, I sat down, I looked up to reach for the bar and my helmet and goggles actually fell off like behind me. Whoa. (laughs) I didn't buckle it up. Wow. And but it was still on the lift. What's that? It was still on the lift with you though, like squished. No, between. it felt like went like off my head and like dropped below. Wow. And first people behind me tried to grab it and they couldn't. And luckily the second group of people were able to snag it up and, and bring it with them. Like, cool, I got a pair of Oakleys and a new helmet, sucker. Seriously. And uh it was funny because I had we were in in the lift line just before, and there was this you know, there was, it was all snow on the ground and there was this little bit where there was blood, like, Oof. you know, a bunch, bunch of drops of blood right there. And I was making the joke. I'm like, happy International Women's Day. Uh, 
but apparently my joke wasn't that funny to the <laughs> karmatic gods. And they're like, you know what, asshole? Watch this. Watch that, buddy boy. Grabbing the bar to pull it down and boom, there goes your helmet and goggles. <laughs> so I felt like an ass and it was like snowing too. So it was like just you like ride the whole the way up. Just cold. You had to ride the whole way up like an ass, just sitting there saying, yeah, I'm the ass that dropped this stuff. But you know what? It's a valuable lesson learned. You know, it you is. gotta buckle your helmet. It is. Yeah. It's like you're you're like the the special guy that that people are like looking like, look at that guy skiing without a helmet and without a without a hat even. That's pretty crazy. Yeah. Luckily, I didn't have to ski down anywhere. It was. You just, know who does that? Our buddy Harry. Good old Harry. He skis with goggles and nothing else once in a while. It's weird. Bad man. Bad man. But, Crazy, crazy stuff. All right. And then we got one more funky little story here. It looks like the good folks at NetJet and Four Seasons have come together to create an ultimate ski adventure package. It's about time. I know, right? Way my whole life for something like this. They have they have come up with this this special six day ski adventure between Jackson Hole and Vail. That's designed to help you avoid the crowds and skip the lines in two of America's best ski destinations. It is dope as it is dope as hell, dude. So this trip is available and it will charter up to 14 guests and is available until the last snow of the season. And I'm watching this video and we're trying to figure out exactly how it works. It looks like you start in Vail and then they fly you from Vail on your private jet, a 40 minute flight to Jackson Hole. Is that right? Yeah, that's what it looks like. And it says it's a six-day adventure, so I don't know how many... I can't figure out exactly how many days are in each place. But the list of amenities are pretty ridiculous. So it says, so you build your own adventure with exclusive options. And that includes in Jackson Hole, private jet by NetJet, three-bedroom residence at the Four Seasons Resort and Residence Jackson Hole, personal ski concierge, Four Seasons Gourmet Lunch served slopeside, Exclusive chef's table experience at West Bank Grill. Then at Vail, you get your private jet, travel by net jets, designer residence with 360-degree mountain views at Four Seasons Resorts and Residence Vail, direct-to-lift guide and passes, snowcat to Game Creek for a cozy chalet dinner, a private mountaintop lunch prepared by a Four Seasons chef, and a personal butler. Oh, and uh, I just, I'm looking at it now. They have the details. Mm-hmm. And you get to take your first ride on new handmade skis that are fitted and custom designed just for you. <laughs> that is not too shabby. I kind of like that. Damn. Which is actually kind of a nice little interlude into our main topic. Exactly. Yes. Last week, Mario and I spoke to Mark Wallace, who is one of the founders of Parlor Custom Skis. And we had a great conversation with him, talked about, you know, how they came, you know, how they created their company, why they did it, what they do, some of the offerings they have now. 
And I came away from it really impressed and really excited to check out more. Um, I think the people that are there, like Mark is just like very into it. Very like you feel, but you feel like you're having a custom, like a personal conversation. Not like a generic, like, yeah, I make skis and I make it for, no, it's like, what do you like? You like, you know, you'll hear in the interview. It's uh, it was really good. Thanks for doing that, Mark. It was, it was awesome. Yeah, thank you so much. And it was cool because you really got to see, you get to things they think about when they're building a ski for somebody was really interesting to hear. And what some of the, the classes and workshops they offer where you can actually partake in your own ski building was really interesting and cool. Here is the interview with Mark Wallace from Parlor Custom Skis. So I didn't, I've been the last two, three years. Um, but with the shift this year and just we've had a bunch of travel and, and sales stuff going on. So it, uh, and we don't sell direct. Okay. Right. So, or we do sell direct. So we, the, the snow show for us is not like, like we're not doing business there, right? It's mostly like media, networking, like partnership. We do a lot of co-branded stuff, um, do some OEM builds. So there, I mean, it's important to be there, but it's not like. So we you want your work. name out there, but you're not getting big sales from it. You're just getting the name out because you're getting all like custom yeah. individual sales, right? Yeah. So we, I mean, we sell direct to consumer. It's one of the parts that's really, I mean, we're not the only people who do it, but it's unique about our brand, right? We believe that fitting the client is really important and one of the things that's most important to how well a ski performs is how well it's fit and so doing that directly and interfacing with our clients is pretty core to how we operate here and that just makes the retail model like really challenging okay yeah the only reason i asked that is because my uh, my sister actually she she has her own uh like environmental like She's into rock climbing, but she does like a lot of environmental stuff. And she actually represented us at the snow show. And I think she might have spoken to um, the athletes you mentioned. And I'm not sure if Jackie, your PR person, was there too. She um, was not there, but she was she was quarterbacking. Yeah, so I think my sister like started talking to her, and then kind of got us. You know, that's what got the ball rolling between okay. us and, and you. So I figured yeah. I'd just check. So I wasn't sure if you met with her or was it Jackie that that spoke to her. No, it's this is this is a very we we both had our people talking to our people. Look at look cool. look at us. Look at us. We're kind look of how a big, big we've gotten, right? <laughs> <laughs> That's awesome. So, Mark, do you want to give us like a kind of a, a rundown on on how Parlor started? Uh, yeah. Can you just give me one second? Yeah, sure. Uh, I have something just popped up on my calendar that I thought was tomorrow. Ooh. <laughs> that's always fun when that's like hey by the way you got a meeting right now so i'm hoping that that's not the case but if it is it's whistle pig right now whistle pig i love whistle oh. Pig. oh no it is tomorrow we can join you for that one it's gonna have to take place on the mountain <laughs> tomorrow isn't it cool <laughs> uh today is tuesday right yeah yes uh, the good news is I didn't double book myself. Look at that. Awesome. Uh, yeah, no, we're doing a, we're doing a run of skis with Whistle Pig. Um, oh, nice. And we're, we're bringing back barrel stave ski racing. Wow. This is, this is not, this is currently off the record, but we'll, we're <laughs> gonna, we've got a test for the summer. We're actually taking barrel staves with snowboard bindings on them 
and we're going to ski on them. Wow. God, nice. <laughs> awesome. We'll make sure you guys know all about it because it's going to be uh, it's going to be pretty pretty epic. Nice. Yeah, keep so us the, in the loop because I'd love to. We'd love to come and uh, check that out when you when that goes down. Yeah, totally. And we're actually going to be incorporating some of the the barrels into the skis we're building too. So oh, that nice. is cool. Yeah, it's super. They've been super fun to work with, and so we're really working on mostly for next year. But we're doing some tests and stuff right now. Which is pretty cool. Well, I guess that's a neat concept. So, what do they do with the barrel when they're done? Right, nothing, or they resell it somewhere? Sometimes they do a lot. They do a lot of different stuff. Some people they. Um, they sell them to a lot of the whiskey makers will sell them to like wine and pork companies, I think. Right. They age in, so like they'll age in a whiskey barrel, like certain things. Yeah. Um, but yeah, once they're done they're you know, they've already, they're full of whiskey and they've already done their thing. Right. So yeah, it's they like, yeah, the wood is like, has like, it's wet. Like it yeah. has like a moisture content to it. Do you have to dry it out? In a kiln, yeah, something? we're gonna try it out a little bit. And but I mean, it smells like I mean, it sm- the whole shop smells like whiskey. Or- nice <laughs> process. Is that the, is that the devil's cut that's stuck in the uh, the wood there? Exactly what it is, yeah, nice. wow. and, and in the air. But I think most of it actually gets absorbed into the barrel. That'd be great, great to ski on a, a pair of whiskey skis. <laughs> be pretty cool. Anyway, so the parlor story. So uh, <clears throat> myself and uh, the two other founders, we all went to college together um, out in Western Mass and, uh, we ski raced. And so we kind of came out of that. We grew up in the sport and on skis, but hadn't had a real sense of how they were built or what made them unique or anything like that. So we started, you know, as many good things do over a couple beers, we started sort of exploring the idea of what a laminate construction, right? So a race style, all mountain ski would look like. And okay. a lot of us were skiing on some of the bigger brands and we felt like there wasn't really a ski that was built and designed the way we wanted to ski the terrain, specifically here in New England. But just in general, we felt like there wasn't really like a laminate construction all mountain ski. So we sort of set out trying to build that. Um, and it turns out it's pretty difficult to build skis. Um, and so we took a while. It, to it kind looks of easy, right? Skis. It looks easy, but we do, I mean, we do, and we developed our own process and pretty quickly we learned that uh, people wanted a different experience out of the ski. So they wanted a great ski, right? But they also wanted a more interactive, they wanted to be able to customize the ski. They wanted to be able to have a ski that performed right for them. And so we really brought some cutting edge technology. We brought some great engineers in and we developed a process for fitting and building on-demand skis. So we build all of our skis 100% in-house in East Boston. And we go from our limited edition skis, which are like popular combinations that we like that have a specific graphic on them, all the way up to full our black label, which is full custom. So rocker profile, outline, graphics, construction, the whole thing is done like for each individual client. So let me ask you about that process. Mm-hmm. Um, I saw Boston 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 an article, and they mentioned and they, that um, there's a, um, I guess, like a, a set of meetings that you, you kind of put somebody through like a, a, a training almost of, of how to build a ski so they can tell you what they want. Is that? Oh, the class. So yeah. there's sort of two things that go on. So we fit all of our clients, either Skype, over the phone or in person. Right. And so everybody has a sort of consultation where we figure out what's the right length, platform specs, and we start the graphic design process. Um, we also offer a build your own skis class, 
where you come. It's either two e two days or three evenings. You actually work with us to build a pair of skis. Wow. So you're actually like your hands are in the epoxy. You're doing the edging, the outlining, printing your graphics. Like you actually, it's and and we sort of we insert you into our manufacturing process. So it's DIY, but it's not like when you leave, you have like a world-class pair of skis. You're not building, you know, like a science project, right? right. Like a real ski, but real ski that yeah, help build, which is great. Yeah, but you, I mean, and you really do all the steps. I mean, you're very involved in the process. You understand how it goes. There's a lot of like, basically like two on one, one of our people, the two students. So it's pretty immersive and people leave with a real sense of ownership on that product. And they've also kind of, it really changes the relationship with how you look at a ski, right? You start looking at sure. how it work and why does it do this? And so those, so that's actually a product that we have when we run that class from April uh, through September. Oh, that's cool. And what sort of uh, like, is there a limit of the number of people you can fit into a class? Yeah, so we have a couple different formats. Our evening classes, which is three consecutive evenings, uh, is four people usually. And our two-day, our weekend classes are two days. Um, so we have, you know, it's it's about, it takes about 20 hours, right? Wow. Okay. And then what sort of, uh, like, so you said April through September, if people mm -hmm. wanted to get in now, like they wanted to get their names on the list, like how, how quickly do those fill up? Pretty quickly. Um, yeah, Sarah, how, how full are we? <laughs> we just published the public calendar, so we've got some spaces. Yeah, so I'd say we're, we just released it. So people, About a third of the way. yeah, people do deposits throughout the year. We do a lot of Christmas gifts for uh, like graduation stuff. So oh, yeah. with the people who have deposits in, we filled about a third of our slots. And so we have about two thirds left, but we'll, they're actually launching to the, like our newsletter list and going up on the website uh, today or tomorrow. So they usually, we're usually pretty full um, and they usually sell, pretty much sell out. That is awesome. Yeah. Cause uh, yeah, we may have to consider getting on that list and, uh, and getting up there and making some. It's custom. pretty cool. It's a pretty cool experience. It definitely uh, is worth doing for sure. That's great. Now, was there like because you're mentioning that you know you guys were having a couple of beers and you're all ski racers and you came up with this idea. Was there like a particular moment where you're like, you know what, I have to make my own skis. This is just not cutting it. You know, it wasn't the sort of evolution of the product for us wasn't all about it wasn't all product driven. Like I wasn't like I'm so frustrated with skis that like I'm going to like make this my life's work. Right. That wasn't like the impetus for it, exactly. but there were, it was like a combination of things. And I think as a lot of great ideas happen, right. It, it evolved over time. Right. So like we knew all of a sudden we knew that we wanted to do this. And then we were at a point where we were doing it. Right. And then we were sort of at a point where we were going to sell it. Right. And so there wasn't like, and now, you know, I've been doing it for nine years and it's sort of like part of, it's like the perfect job for me too. Right. Because I love skiing. I love building stuff and I like talking to people about skiing. So it's all the things that I like to do um, all kind of wrapped into one and and all this other stuff, you know, that comes along with it, being able to fix machines and getting your hands on the product and doing a lot of engineering design. Those things also come along with it. Um, but it really just kind of evolved. And there was no aha moment where I was like, OK, now I'm a ski builder. Right. It's just like all of a sudden just evolved that way right it just sort of evolved and it was very like natural and 
um, you know, our the community around the brand has really helped solidify that. I mean, we we have like like people who like nobody. I mean, some people believe me, but like I'm like you take these skis out of here and like you were gonna get stopped on the mountain and somebody's gonna like take you for a beer and talk to you about whatever. Like, and that doesn't like doesn't happen with vocal. Like, it doesn't happen. Like nobody grabs you. Like, oh, dude, those are six whole sevens. Like, let's go hang out. <laughs> never happened. Yeah. Uh, well, I guess part of your your whole product. I mean, just the the creation of your product. I mean that's where you get a lot of the questions like what are these you know what are these built to do what do you like out of them like how did you want them built right that's all custom to you right to to your yeah so that's but it's also like it's 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 an important we really believe that like the ski community like that's the thing that kind of makes us tick right it's like the community and people are so passionate about it they love to be outside and they love to ski and so those things uh you know, we sort of were part of that and we participate in that. And so people like it's a piece of ski culture in East Boston. Like you can't go like there's nowhere else around here. You can go and like hang out and talk about skiing and like swap stories. Right. It's not it just doesn't exist. And then that sort of like transmits to the mountain. And you know that those people who you see on the brand are excited and they're as passionate as you are. And, you know, so those things have all sort of like come along with it. And that's one of the things that really motivated us. It's where the class came from, right? That wasn't like, we weren't like, oh, we have to do classes. We just had people saying, you know, I really, like, I want to know more. Like, I want to participate. Like, and we were like, well, we can do that. Like, let's see if it works. And we did, I think we did 12 classes. We did, we did a class with three of our friends and we launched it that summer. And it was like, we were, we've been sold out ever since. So it was like, but you know, it's listening to that, what people want, how they want to interact with the product. And then just being nimble enough to kind of like evolve that way. Yeah, so super organic, community driven. Yeah, that's a huge part of our brand, um, and uh, and it's super fun. See, one of the things that like resonates with everything I've read and stuff that you're saying is is that you're you're still nimble enough that you can change and do the custom stuff that people want and listen to people and and interact, which which seems really kind of. A nice little ecosystem you have going yeah i mean and it's like i mean good skis are table stakes now in my opinion like if you're making a bad product like you're not gonna last like you can get good skis at any ski store for 500 bucks at the end of the year right like it's right but they're not they're not built for you they're not personalized right and uh more importantly like there's no like there's no connection there, right? There's no, there's just not like a product should be more than that, in my opinion. And it should be something you have like real ownership over. And so the other thing is that the onus is on the customer to go find that ski, mm-hmm. right? Vocal has 62 SKUs. They make just one company makes 62 different types of skis, oh not even including multiple lengths, right? Mm-hmm. So you're, you know, Joe skier and you love skiing and it's your job to go read gear guides, which are paid advertising. Right. Mm-hmm. And try to try to take a couple ski days out of your year and go try some stuff. Right. And figure out what the perfect product is for you. Yeah. Like to me, that's insanity. Like I view like, like our clients are our partners. We know our product line inside out. We designed it. Right. Our client, we we're really good at understanding our clients and what their needs are because we do it all day right and so putting those two things together like we and we guarantee our fits 
if we screw up and you don't like your ski, you just give it back. We'll make you another one. I guess one of the things that it seems like it's getting more from just a ski into like a piece of art is like, you're able to translate what somebody's telling you into that, that equipment that they're going to use, which is pretty, pretty awesome. Yeah, it's pretty fun. And it is definitely, I mean, art is maybe not the right word, but it's, it's right. I mean, it's, it's craft, right? It's quality. It's craft, yeah. It's, and, and, but the, the artwork on the ski is art. Right. And so that's the other piece of this is it's like there's a whole element of personalization that like comes along with that. Um, that's pretty that's pretty cool. Yeah, it's a good point you made about, you know, with the vocal with all their skews and then versus, you know, people getting you know, people, what they buy and what they need are often very different. It's almost like if you were going to buy a car, but you had a range between race cars and delivery trucks and everything in between. And yeah. you had no idea, like you, no one, you didn't know what you were going to use it for, but you were going to randomly pick one of those vehicles. And you never right. test drove them, you know? Yeah. Like, how often, you know, I definitely, I've been lucky enough to, to test a lot of skis, but you know, for some of my friends, they, they buy skis, they, they never even test them. It's like, how do you know that you're going to like it? It's like, Hey, they were on sale. So I got them. Yeah. Just taking a gamble. Yeah. And the, other, the other thing is that I think people, uh, I mean, skis, the, the industry for all the things it's done well has is forced the ski into the sort of commodity market a little bit, the way that they jam the channels and all the public companies that are competing and stuff. And so I think that there is a feeling of that. The ski doesn't matter as much. Right. Mm-hmm. It's like there are a lot of them out there. They're all pretty good. Like and so <clears throat> I just think that that's that there's a little bit of. Like it's, that's just a little frustrating, you know, because it, it's what connects you to the mountain. Right. I mean, yeah. you have like, you think about like, if you have kids and, or if you live in Florida and you ski, like you're spending a lot of time, energy and money to go skiing. Yeah. Right. And you just saved yourself 400 bucks on the thing that connects you to the snow at 70 miles an hour. Yeah. Right. It's like, I just don't get it. <laughs> you'll spend 500 bucks a night stay at the nicer hotel but you won't spend a few hundred bucks more to get the better ski that'll make the whole trip you know way better and a, a life like a f- experience you'll never forget and always talk about and you're spending yeah. six to seven hours a day on your skis it's like yeah this is what i do the entire ski trip i'm not i'm not just walking around town i'm i'm on those skis like i want to you know it also changes the way you ski and this is something that's uh, there's a little bit of nuance to it, and it's hard to explain to people. I mean, you guys get it, obviously, but you know, if you're on a like, if you watch the way people ski powder now, right? They sort of look like the guy skiing peaks in the TGR film, right? Yeah. They make two turns and then they go straight at the bottom of the bowl. Yeah, and that is a product of the equipment. Cause like the guy they're listening the the ski designers are listening to vocal or, or, you know, to their pro athletes. And they're like, I need something that's like 192, two layers of metal and super stable. So I'm going 60 miles an hour over spines. Right. right? But they scale that down and that's the ski that you buy and you can't turn it. Right. Nobody can turn it. Right. The, you know, You're it's not like that athlete that was yeah. using that ski. Exactly. And so, you know, you get this product that like, and so that sort of thing starts to think about. So, you know, if you think about, all right, I want to ski. That's what we ask a lot. Like, how do you want to ski this ski? Like, where do you want to ski on it? Um, and that informs like, do you like to make shorter turns or bigger turns? Or a lot of those things are sort of self-explanatory, but, but it does make a big, like I ski very differently on a Cardinal than I do on like a mountain jack. Right. Like it's, yeah. it's a different, 
it's a different beast. It changes the way you balance and turn and think about the whole thing. So. Also, too, in the Northeast, you know, you, you know, we, we've got a lot of a uh, lot of a lot of ice that we we tend to encounter. I, so we call them first scrapes. You know, I tested. So, yeah. I demoed some Cardinals uh, at Killington on a really icy day, and I was like, "Wow, what the wrong great ski!" But it was like the wrong conditions for that. Yeah, yeah. I was totally. like, "It's the only opportunity." But I was like, "Yeah, it was just that same kind of thing." And you have so many of the shops that are make they're out west that are making these big fat powder skis, and you know you see someone who's like, "Oh yeah, I'm gonna get those," and then they go ski an icy morning at Killington, and they're like, "These skis suck." It's like they're just not made made for that job. It's the yeah, wrong tool yeah. for the job. Exactly. So I noticed one of the things in that article, they were talking about the uh, McFeelin Pros that you guys did, the limited edition. Mm-hmm. Um, and the thing I liked about it, it says it's a, a all it's a directional all-mountain ski. And they were talking about being able to jump in the, you know, uh, I guess the whole article, they were talking about being able to have a pair of skis that you, you're you on the groomers with, then you jump in the trees a little, and it's like versatility like was one of the key things that like, I guess this person was writing about, which was, was very cool about, I guess if it's a custom ski, like you said, you're, you're doing, they're telling you what they want to do with it and you're building it to do that. Right. Yeah. But I mean, a lot of our, a lot of our clients are not necessarily fantastic skiers either. Right. right. And, and one of the things that's really important about having a ski that's built for you is that it's going to give you more confidence because it, it, responds correctly in a variety of conditions right so obviously we build a ski for you that's 120 underfoot that's designed for heli skiing or 130 underfoot or whatever it's not going to perform well on the front side but you're much better off on a ski that's balanced for you your individual needs uh regardless of what conditions you're on right right so like you you know even if you buy like the mcfallon pro from us which is more of a pow ski like it's still going to respond. It's got the right flex profile. It's got the right length. It's got the right, you know, materials for your needs. And therefore you're going to feel more confident on that in a variety of conditions. Well, I guess it's almost like people uh, often go to a good boot fitter to get good boots. When do they often go to a good ski fitter to get good skis? They usually just pick something, right? Right. When they go to you guys, you're fitting them a ski. And it's, and it's that, that sort of like, analogy is really like every i say all the time like everybody knows you got to go to your boot guy yeah but like the ski guy is not as much of a it's becoming a thing right and that's the other thing like the more i'm a huge supporter of like all the other small brands and you know i think the the more people are out there making good skis with their own personality right and their own take on what makes the ski interesting is like it's better for the consumer it's better for the industry um you know so I'm a big people are like, oh, aren't you worried about like so and so? And like, no, man, like we'd like buy materials together and talk about ski design. And, you know, it's like we're all sort of in it together. In it's like opinion. a brotherhood. Yeah. Yeah. Like a craft brew almost, a beer. Yeah. We've all got the same problems. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Exactly. So now we, um, Jackie sent us a couple of press releases from you guys. So you guys have done some awesome co branded beer skis in the past like the sip of sunshine ones you guys have now are so sweet um and you've announced just uh recently that you're doing one with lord hobo as well mm-hmm. yeah we have a formal partnership with them they sponsored our demo tour for the year so we've co-branded everything for this year and i mean it's it's again it's the real reason for that type of partnership marketing is is 
it's about community, right? Yeah. So we find another brand that makes products the way we do. I mean, both Simple Sunshine and Lord Hobo are good examples of this, right? I mean, they're like, they're super good people. They really care about their products. They care about quality. Um, and, and the right type of people gravitate to that. So by doing something together with them, like they pick up on our people and they, our clients drink their beer and, you know, our, and vice versa, however that works, you know, it's like, it just, it, it grows the community around both of the brands and we're super picky about who we work with. Right. It's like, oh, you can tell, we get, yeah. we get approached all the time. It's like, you know, like we've, and it's not like we don't sit down and have like a corporate meeting about it. It's all about the feeling, right? You're like, do you want to like, do you want to sit on a chairlift with this person? Like, no, well, then I probably shouldn't work with them. <laughs> the chairlift test. I like that. Yeah, the chairlift yeah. litmus tests. Do, <laughs> do, do you want to ski two runs with this person? Yeah. The answer is no. I probably don't want to work with them. <laughs> yeah. Not going to work. So what's your favorite Lord Hobo beer? Because I'm on the website now looking at... Glorious. No questions asked. Glorious? All right. Yeah. I'm a major, I'm a, I'm a major disciple of that. It's their pale ale. It's like a mid, it's just like, it's super, it's got all like the hops on the body that you want and it's not super overwhelming. Nice. So yeah. I've had a couple of Lord Hobos uh, up at Killington, obviously. That's yeah. yeah. Boom sauce. Our, boom sauce. Yes. That was good. And there was another one. Um, Sushi Yoshi always has at least one of theirs on draft. And, oh, well, uh, maybe. Um, I was, it was a woman's name. Oh, what the hell was it? It's steel. It's steel. This can, uh, glorious boom sauce consolation prize and hobo life. Unless they have like a special one. Uh, I definitely had the boom sauce and that was really good. Uh, it's good, but that beer is like, it's crushing. It's heavy. Yeah. Like two of those and it's nighttime. Exactly. Push after skiing, right? Yeah. So, I mean, right. but again, all their beers are good, but the, the glorious for me is definitely the, like, takes cake. Nice. So now, if people wanted to get more information and they wanted to start the process of getting a custom ski, what's the, mm -hmm. where should they go? Should they go to your website? And is there any uh, information they should get together before they go there? Uh, yeah, I mean, the website's a great place to start. I mean, my cell phone's 413-884-4747. Call me anytime. Um, I always love a phone call. A lot of people like to work over email at the beginning. Um, and that's a, that's a good place to start. You know, I definitely tell people to look over the different platforms that we have and, and get a sense of kind of where they would fall, start to think about graphics a little bit. But I found that just starting the conversation, even if you're not ready to buy yet, is really the right way to do it. Um, and again, like it gets, you just kind of get a sense of like, how we like to interact with our clients and how we want to build skis. And, you know, we're, we're pretty, we're pretty accessible. Um, so I would say those are the main ways. And obviously the website facilitates contacting us, right? We have the phone number, email, all that stuff. Um, but yeah, reach out directly to me or, or to the office and, and uh, we're happy to tell you whatever you want to know. Very cool. We also have now a super cool tool. We have the, the, the fit tool which is off the homepage or custom.parlorskis.com. And you put in the, your parameters for how you ski, height, weight, terrain choice. And we'll make a, it, we have an algorithm that makes like a real time 
ski recommendation. Oh wow! Oh, nice. Now for a uh, for an advanced to expert northeast skier, what would you say is the ideal quiver? Like, do you do you have one in mind? Like, how many skis should you have? Uh, so uh, I say you can never have too many skis. Spoken <laughs> <laughs> like a true custom ski builder. Obviously. Um, but I, I mean, I think that the, the, the core of everybody's quiver you should have, you should have a frontside hard snow ski, which is for us, we have sort of three skis that fall in there, but the most popular is the Cardinal 90, right? So it's got a little bit of camber, it's narrower underfoot, keep them super sharp, kind of like your frontside weapon. Um, then I think you need a, a powder ski. So, um, that Mountain J McFellan Pro width, something between 105 and 120. So we like kind of that 112 width. Really gives you a lot of versatility. And a ski that way kind of makes some of the okay powder days deeper, right? Because you're not sinking, you're staying up on top. It's a lot more playful. Um, and then I think you want a touring ski, right? And so we do a lot of the Kingfishers for that. It's 105 underfoot. It's really nimble in the woods. Um, we do some different stuff with the construction to keep it super lightweight. Um, and that's a pretty good, you know, you want sort of frontside groomer and then you want, you know, woods, backcountry shoots, and then more of like a, a playful all mountain ski that you can ski in the woods here. And then, you know, obviously take out West. So I think, I mean, I tell you realistically, like two to three pairs, like you're pretty well covered. Um, in my opinion one is, I mean, and again, if you can only do one, like we can make some choices on that, but with specificity comes compromise always right so like when you make it and i tell people this all the time i'm like if you tell me you want a powder ski and then you call me and tell me it doesn't work when it's boilerplate like i'm not giving you your money back because i did i made a ski that does what i you, i told you it was going to do yeah. um and if and so we do like a little we have a little summary we're like look this is the ski that you want this is what we're going to build um and so, but again, you know, the more, if you make the ski more general, it's more general. If you make it more specific, it's more specific. So the more I think, but, but again, something that's narrow, something that's narrower, stiffer and has camber and something that's wider and more playful, I think is plenty of variety for, for most of our customers. So when you're talking to people, do you actually ask them where they're planning to, or where they spend most of their time skiing, like oh, yeah. resorts and things like that? Cause that drives a lot of it, right? Yeah, and the, and and it's very rare that uh, I talk to a client and I don't know their favorite trail. <laughs> cool. Well, I skied there, right? It's like you know, and people it blows people away, uh, or maybe not blows them away, but people are always a little like, "What?" Because they'll be like, you know, "Oh, I ski a trigger bush." I'm like, "Oh yeah, you know, all right. What's your favorite run?" Like, "Well, I like Paradise." And I'm like, "Well, do you know, do you go left or right after the waterfall?" <laughs> right because but that's the beauty of it. i mean we ski the same trails we we ski with with them we know what works you know and people fall into buckets you know they're like i know i ski like this or i have this style or and there's some pretty easy tells for us to make sure that we know what type of skier we're we're talking to that's and then we cool. can design around that and that's not a like you can't i mean like vocal has to make a ski that the 171 works the best in the most conditions for the most people. Right. And it has to fit there. I mean, if you've ever looked at a ski company design brief, right. It's like, this is, this is the terrain and this is the skier type that we're building the ski for. Right. And then they've got to shoot for that. And then, 
the disconnect is not with the design on that. It's with how it's sold down the road, right? Because the person who's selling it doesn't really know the customer and they don't really know that what the SKU is designed for. I mean, they do. And great. Uh, there's a huge caveat on this, which is there are a handful of amazing mom, like boutique ski shops in New England that do a great job. They, they really understand the product. They know the lines they sell. Um, they have relationships with their clients that come back year after year. And that's really, that's another way to do it, right? Like get a partnership with the owner, like have them know what you like. They do a good job. No dig on that. But, you know, XYZ.com, ski is, doesn't, yeah. <laughs> I don't know either side of that. They just want to make that sale. Yeah. Yeah. So. Cool. Sweet, guys. What else do you need to know? So what's uh, next in the future? What do you got coming up? I know you do the uh, shop days, which sound awesome. You got a little Lord Hobo beer flowing and you get to a tour of the shop, right? Yeah, I mean, it's basically like a brewery tour for skis. You, uh, you come in and you spend an evening with us and we show you how the skis go together. You know, talk about skiing. We obviously fit skis there, but most of it is just about, you know, meeting some other like-minded people and, and having a good time. That's a lot of fun. Um, I mean, next we're continuing to push certainly into bringing more technology into our fitting process, right? So we're working with some of the tracking apps and some of different ways of collecting data on your phone and some other things to try to build a more robust picture of our clients. Oh, so um, you would actually do like a, uh, they have those tracker apps where they show like the style and the way they turn and all that stuff. And you'd kind of look to use maybe something like that to help. Yeah. So, I mean, we watch a lot of video with our clients, you know, oh, cool. even a 30 second video is just body position, forward lean, like all those things are super helpful. But, you know, where you ski on the mountain, how fast you're going, what size your turn is. And so from a very basic level up to like a much more robust analysis of the ski, um, like there are a lot of tools out there that we've been sort of poking around with um, that can be pretty, pretty useful. Nice. That's so really that's cool. coming up in the future. And then, you know, we're continuing to sort of like push the fringes of other carving sports, right? We're going to, we, we have snowboard prototypes right now, um, which will probably launch the spring. Uh, we've been doing longboards for a couple of years now. We're starting to, to work on surfboards a little bit more. So the, the, the sort of New England outdoor carving experience is all fair game, in my opinion. Cool. Uh, so those, I would think those are the, the directions and just, Keep making people happy by building them good skis. That's really the core of what we do. That's, very That's cool. a beautiful thing. Keep those connections going, right? Absolutely. So cool. Awesome. And then do you guys have shop days all throughout the year? Summer, fall? Uh, we stop running them in April. Okay. So it's sort of like November to April. Obviously, the classes run all spring. We will give a tour if we're around. Like, that's not a big deal. Um, we also have, we have our spring party coming up on uh we haven't picked a date we're talking about it this morning uh but it, it's always in april and uh we do island creek oysters obviously lord hobo straight jacket slumber party plays some of our our friends are banned i think we had 150 people here at the shop last summer or last spring um it's uh it's a pretty good time it's free you know and just kind of have an end of the year ready for summer shindig so that's coming up so definitely up on the mailing list and watch for that. Very cool. Yeah, we are already on the mailing list. Don't <laughs> worry. <laughs> All right, awesome. So anything else you wanna you wanna share? Oh, we still got you? 
No, I think it's good. You know, if you guys have any follow-up or, or anything else you want to know about the brand, um, I'm, you know, I'm here, I'm available. I mean, the, it's all about, I mean, for us, it's all about having the highest quality product that's the most tailored, right, fit you can have. And then all this other stuff that comes along with the community and fun and being outside and connecting with people um, are what makes it interesting. Nice. I mean, that's kind of at the, at the core of what we do. Sweet guys. Well, thanks for your time. I really appreciate it. Yeah, thanks, Mark. I really appreciate you taking the time to talk to us. And uh, yeah, we'll be in touch and hopefully we can get up there and make some custom skis. Yeah, let me know whenever it works out. We'll figure something out for sure. Perfect. Thanks, Mark. So right, if you guys Mark. enjoyed that interview, if you have any more, want more information, check out the show notes at skibumpodcast.com. We'll have all the links and all the information regarding parlor skis, the custom build experience, the shop nights. So check it out. Under the ropes. All right, so first up, I'm going to take the first one. Do it. All right, so Greece suspends a soccer league after a team owner invaded the field with a gun to, con- to confront the ref. Now, I've seen a lot of soccer games that, you know, on TV and people get heated, but you always hear this crazy stuff that happens on like these local little leagues. But uh, I guess this is a pretty big league. It's the Greek Super League. Um, <laughs> they're saying <laughs> the dude came out, he was upset about a call. Um, and uh, it was an abandonment game between PA. Okay, I have no idea what that stands for. Salonica and AK Athens on Sunday, and it was abandoned after the the owner invaded, <laughs> carrying a gun. So I guess he was upset. He had a gun on his side, and they were like, "Whoa, whoa, whoa! What are you doing, man?" So, and he was looking to take it out too. So I think they had to jump him. Yeah, it's all kind of pictures too, like from the AP on their uh, their Instagram account. Yeah, it shows this guy. Oh, he was going to shoot him, man. Free to pull it out. I guess they disallowed a goal in the 89th minute of a 90 minute game. Uh, you know, with a few minutes extra time, um, and it was a huge game between the two team, the two teams. And this guy Ivan stormed the field with a gun on his hip. Uh, they stopped the game, and they were like, "Nope, we're going to abandon the game. That's it. We're not even going to continue the last minute, two minutes." You're a dumbass. <laughs> so it's, we think we got problems in this country. People have problems everywhere, man. That's true. You know, not we all have our our. None of us are innocent. No country, and it's it's crazy that this guy, like, just had it exposed pretty much too. You know, on his belt. Uh, I've heard there was a story. Was it two years ago where somebody in Brazil cut another person's head off? After a game, it's like th- there's all sorts of weird stuff that you hear about. Oh yeah, people getting too carried away with that stuff. Yeah, people need to chill out a little bit. You know, maybe take a take a couple deep breaths before taking any crazy actions. That's right. Yeah, it's <sighs> crazy. All right, next up, David Chase revives The Sopranos with new line prequel movie, The Many Saints of Newark. Nice. Now, I figured this was going to be inevitable, right? Yeah, I mean, they've been talking about it ever since the show ended back in 2007 that there was going to be some sort of, you know, follow-up, a movie, a something. But unfortunately, with the death of James Gandolfini, 
it's unlikely to be any sort of follow-up to what happened on The Sopranos unless they jump ahead five, ten years and Tony's gone and now the next generation has moved in. But for this, they decided to go the prequel route. And as a New Jersey resident, this is very near and dear to my heart. (laughs) They've announced that David Chase, who wrote the original Sopranos, um, has sold his new screenplay, The Many Saints of Newark, which is the working title for the feature prequel of The Sopranos that is set in the era of the Newark riots in the 1960s. That was the time when the African-Americans and the Italians of Newark were at each other's throats and amongst the gangsters of each group, those conflicts became especially lethal. The script is written by Chase and Lawrence Connor, the prolific screen and television writer whose credits include The Sopranos. Some of the beloved characters from the series will also appear in the film. They couldn't get any more information about the plot, but the time period indicates there will be room for Tony Soprano's father, Giovanni Johnny Boy, the former captain of the Soprano crew, played in flashbacks by Joseph Saravo, and a younger version of his wife, Livia, played incredibly in the first season by Nancy Marchand, and Tony's uncle, Junior, played by Dominic Chenise. Uncle Junior. Uncle Junior. So yeah, it'll be interesting to see those guys, young, the young versions of them um, and other characters that I'm sure will, will pop in that we've, we've seen on the show. So you think they're going to kick it off with a movie and then push that into like a series? That's what I was wondering. Cause now, you know, with Netflix, we're so used to these, you know, at least 10 episode, one hour, you know, series. Yeah. It seems like a two hour movie could could barely even scratch the surface. Like it's good to introduce it, but then you probably want like an H, you know, HBO had the the series. I imagine they're trying to pitch like, Hey, give it to us. You know what I mean? Yeah. You need almost like two hours just for setup of the characters and, yeah. the, scene and the situation and the time period. Although you do get pissed off. Cause there are some of the seasons and episodes of the Sopranos where you're like, nothing really happened. I saw a lot of setup stuff, but I was waiting for stuff to happen. There's no, there's not a lot of critical stuff sometimes when you do a series, you know? Yeah. Like there was that one where he was like a business traveler. I think it was the last season or the second to last. Oh, he's having the dream thing. He's at a bar and he yeah. has like that weird, like weird vision. Yeah. And it was just strange. Like you're like, okay, nothing really happened in this, but I don't know. It was interesting, but I could see that happening for a two hour movie. They squish it in. It's gotta yeah. be, you know, Hopefully it becomes more than that because that would be pretty cool. That's a pretty interesting, tumultuous time too in New Jersey and America's history. Yeah, people don't realize like, you know, I lived in New Jersey, just moved recently, but I lived in Jersey for a while and Newark wasn't, they're trying to revive Newark for years and years and years. But at one time, way back, it was really a nice place. You know? Yeah. Yeah. The whole, you know, I think it was the fifties when those, when the first riots broke out and that's when things started going downhill. Yeah. But they have a lot of, you know, historical landmarks and places there. So it'd be interesting to see what they do with it. Maybe they'll use uh, actual places in Newark to film. How about the economy? Yeah. Yeah. Just, uh, you might want to stay away from Irvington. Just saying. I've driven. I recommend doing that. I do do there at one in the morning. It's not a place to be. No, not a lot of positive things happening there. No. 
Uh, all right. So next up, we have Crypt Tomatoes grows five acres of fruit from Bitcoin mining heat. So, uh, Brian, you could take you, you read this article. I just kind of skimmed through it, but uh, yes, this looks pretty cool. Yeah, this was neat. So one of the big, the one of the big, um, I don't know if complaints or points of contention recently in the cryptocurrency world. Not that there hasn't been a billion different problems lately, but one of the things people have talked about, and you know, of course, in the world that we live in with our media now, people hear one comment it vaguely makes sense to them and all of a sudden they're advocates for that point of view which has happened in the bitcoin mining space because someone posted an article how it's wasting so much of the world's resources compared to you know transportation or other you know more useful energy consuming activities which is actually incorrect. The amount of Bitcoin, the amount of energy being used, is a lot of it is just bio waste energy. A lot of places that have, um, you know, extra energy because they're in colder climates or they have a lot of oil or solar, are are benefiting because they're able to, you know, use that that energy that would often be wasted. See, my argument back to those people with that argument that say it's bad, it's wasting energy. How much energy is wasted on Xbox every day? Is that being used for any good? No. So TV, let's put it that way. Yeah. Yeah, it's it's kind of one of those things where, you know. People like, call something else out that they don't use or they, they, they're not part of as like, oh, yeah, that's the culprit. Like, you know, we're all the culprit. Let's put it that way. Spot on. You're absolutely right. It's one of those things where it's, well, this person that I know who has the same political beliefs as me believes in this. So I'm going to jump on that bandwagon too. Yeah. One of those, those goofy kind of arguments. Cause you're drinking your Starbucks out of a recycled paper cup. Doesn't mean you're still not destroying the environment. You're just doing it in a different way. Yeah. I purchased five cups of Starbucks today. I didn't use a reusable cup. I'm a good person, but these people are not. Yeah. You get styrofoam. Oh, you're going to go to hell. Yeah. It's, <laughs> it's cherry picking their causes. So anyway, the co-founder of a Czech cryptocurrency exchange, Nakamoto X, uh, will launch a blockchain startup based on growing edible crops from excess mining heat. In a Twitter discussion March 10th, Camille Pacheca said staff had created bespoke housing for Bitcoin servers, which harnesses heat and sends it to the greenhouses currently growing tomatoes. The project, which will soon be accompanied by a new business called Agritecture, has been in stealth mode, but now has delivered its first crop, a five-acre greenhouse full of tomatoes dubbed Cryptomatoes. That's pretty cool. It's really cool. In growing the crops, Brescia says the energy cycle loop for the project is closed as mining activities use energy from bio-waste. While neither the first agricultural or even tomato-based crypto technology implementation, agritecture would appear to demonstrate the scale on which mining energy can be recycled. And then here's the line that, of course, when I first read this article, I thought about as well. Bresh just said there had initially been plans to grow medical marijuana, but legislative hurdles forced him to focus on more orthodox crops. But they probably know how fast they can convert it over if they do get the go-ahead. Yeah. Well, the one of the big things that's happening in the crypto world is that, you know, areas that do have a lot of energy and that whose governments are are woke enough to 
to be on board and, and starting to look into this technology, specifically places like Quebec in Canada, they are, they're looking to subsidize mining in the, um, the province. And also Canada is legalizing marijuana on July 1st of this year. So there is definitely a possibility for big mining operations to be set up. And then also using that, that extra heat to, uh, to grow <laughs> greenhouses full of cannabis. Dude, a server farm and a weed farm go hand in hand together. And a lot of the belief systems of the cryptocurrency, uh, people who are pro cryptocurrency and those who are pro cannabis kind of go hand in hand. So I could see it being a very happy synergistic relationship. Yeah. I mean, I worked for a company, giant company, and they built a new data center and new offices. And what they did is this, they built this way back in like probably like 20, 25 years ago. But at the time, uh, it's in New Jersey and it's cold as hell. So they figured in the winter, oh, you're going to have to have heat. They're like, no, we have a data center. We're going to pump the heat from the servers because it gives off so much heat into the building. That's going to heat the building. And that's how they have it. It's pretty there crazy. You go. That works. Wow. I mean, it puts off that much heat. So if you can repurpose that heat, number one, it's being green. But number two, the company saves a ton of money. So of course they're going to be green. Yeah. It's really smart to do it that way. Yeah. And then this makes sense for, especially if you're in a cold climate to pump that, you know, um, that heat in. It's great. Yeah. Some of you got a problem, but the winter takes care of it. All right. So we love Elon Musk. Now I was trying to look up today if there's a term for people that follow Elon Musk, like as like a habit, you know, as like a, a muskian, like what would you <laughs> consider us? So I think we're both a little bit muskians, but, uh, so Elon Musk came out this week and he said, SpaceX will launch a rocket to Mars in 2019. So I, I love this. Uh, you know, we got to push the envelope. I saw something on Netflix um, two days ago called, uh, it was something about Voyager. I don't know if you've seen it, but I'll send it to you. It's, it's pretty awesome. Like all the stuff that went into it. And then like the fact that it went out there and took pictures of all these other planets, like you know, 10, 20 years later was, it's, it's incredible. Well, very well done thing, but this is the kind of stuff that he's talking about, you know, like, you know, why wait for, at what point are you going to wait to send something to Mars? You know, like you got to start doing it. Now's the time it's, it's, it's going to be late when you, when you want to do it, you know, if you wait. Yeah. And as much as I love Elon Musk by him saying 2019, that means 2024. Yeah, yeah. Somehow, isn't he? He's just so busy. Well, you know. So in the book, you read the book too. Like they just describe him as he's a very positive, very much of a positive thinker. Very much believes that people can do anything if they put their mind to it, and that's the push and the drive. And people get driven very hard that work for him, and he drives himself very hard. But it's this idea that it's a very important thing that they have to do to, uh, especially with SpaceX, to populate other planets so that if there is an extinction event on the earth, we survive as human race. That's the biggest thing, like sitting in the back of his mind, you know, and it is, if you think about it, that's, a, that should be a pretty big concern for everybody in this. It's a very know. noble cause. That's for sure. Yeah. I mean, he's not doing it for his own, maybe he has an ego, maybe, you know, but behind that is to save the human race, you know? Uh, so I think it's pretty interesting. If you were like a multi-billionaire I know, I don't know if I would be spending that much time trying to save the human race as much as I would just having, having more fun. 
Maybe he's building a space station that we don't know about just in case. I think it's already built. That's his bunker, man. It's his bunker. It's already done. He's got a rocket ready to go. He could probably be there in no time. Just boom, I'm out. Musk out. <laughs> Musk out. So he says by the middle of next year, short flights could begin. So I imagine, though, there's there's a lot of stuff they have to do. People are like, oh, they're going to send people out there. Well, wouldn't you want to probably first launch a satellite or two around Mars just to have it? Because what are you going to do? Wait to get there and say, oh, you know, we need a satellite for communication. Like, I imagine they should start sending stuff over there before we even think about sending people there. But it's in like pedophiles. It's like a whole bunch of pedophiles and launch them out there. And if something happens, like, eh. Well, oops. Penal Colin, right? Just be a little Australia. Yeah. You know? (laughs) That's how Australia started. You got to start with someone. So might as well grab some uh, some criminals or something. Launch them up there. I think Musk wants to send a bunch of stuff over there. Because he already sent his car. I think what he's going to do, he's going to send more of his shit over there because then he's going to go over there. And be like, I already got my house. and It got shipped. It's, it's like circling. It's got to land it now. Maybe it's Instapot. Instapot. He's going to get some wine when he's over there. It's got a bunch of, inst- like 20 Instapots. <laughs> Toaster. Like a, a, a you know, a weed, a weed grower. You know, one of those machines that grows all the weed for you. Oh, like a hydroponic setup. Yep. Blender. Exactly. Bulletproof coffee maker. Elon's no fool. He's got a plan. I wonder what he's going to take. See, that that would be great. Like, what would you, if you had a design, like what, what your little space environment would encompass? Like, what would you bring? Hmm. Well, now, are we using the Martian as accurate, like an accurate portrayal of what's possible? Dude, if you want to bring a case of beer and like two pair of underwear, that's, that's up to you. Well, I'm just looking for things that, like, what can I bring up that I can regrow? Well, that's just it, right? You got to start thinking about that. And coffee beans probably be pretty important. Why don't you just bring a shit ton of Twinkies? They're going to last for like 50 years. Yeah. How how long are you going to live? Like, I got to live to be like a hundred and something years old. I guess you want to bring marijuana and coffee. I think with those two things, you can pretty much get everything else kind of online. Bunch of processed foods. Put Amazon. You could have Amazon ship that shit to you. Wouldn't it be amazing if, say, imagine the the soil makeup of Mars was so that if you did put a Twinkie in a wrapper in the ground, it would somehow grow a Twinkie tree. Whoa. Can you imagine if it made weed grow like three times as fast? Mm. <laughs> One plant would yield like like a year's worth of weed. That would be pretty sweet. <laughs> Next to the Twinkie tree, and somehow they cross pollinated. And and coffee beans, coffee beans and Twinkies, coffee Twinkies, Twinkie coffee. So yeah, the outside, the cake part would be caffeinated, oh. but then the uh, the the center, the creamy center, would actually be like weed infused. Oof. You do that with kombucha too. Do like a kombucha Twinkie. Oof. <laughs> <laughs> How about kombucha and cabbage? Kombucha cabbage. Twimbuchi. Twimbuchi. Hey, what are the ding dongs? Like anything really processed? Maybe Chef Boyardee. <laughs> ding ring dings. Ring dings. Little progresso soup. Soup in a packet. Little Debbie. God, I used to eat so much progresso scoop when I was like just out of college. Dude, you wouldn't be able to. Well, actually, it was cold out in space. So you'd be able to be, like have ice cream makers all over the place without having to chill them down. Yeah. You have ice yeah. cream all the time. Every who day. Knows, who knows what the, the soil of Mars is capable of, though? 
And maybe some sort of like replicator soil where there's some sort of something in there that, you know, say you put a pint of Ben and Jerry's in, you put it in the ground and all of a sudden you got a tree full of Ben and Jerry's. Boom. Ben and Jerry's and with the Twinkies and the coffee, you, you got to be, you got to be. How do we know, you know, Willy Wonka isn't already there? Well, what if you build a big spaceship that's like a big dome and you just crash the spaceship into Mars, like kind of crash land it. And then that's your, your structure. You live out of that. Everybody's, what everybody does all this. Like, I don't know. Everybody does all this like fancy, like got to build this structure and all, you know, take that fucking spaceship and just plow it into the thing and live out of that. How about that? What about do ghetto style? I guess it's all about surviving the landing. Yeah. Well, you could you cushion the landing, but you just put the ship down there. Like that's it. You know, fancy landing. That could work. And then Elon, and then while you're out there, you'd be like, I'm grabbing a freaking, I know a roadster that's like circling around. I'm going to grab that shit, drive it around, put some big ass tires on that thing, lift it up, treads, put your treads on. You guess you're a Mars Rover then. Yep. Oh yeah. Think of that. No speed limit. You'd be doing whatever the hell you want. <laughs> <laughs> All right. And with that, we got one more story to finish off the week. And this has got a little sprinkling of ski information. Lindsey Vaughn was rooting for Tiger Woods along with the whole sports world. Oh, yeah. Lindsey Vaughn and Tiger Woods broke up in 2015, but like the rest of the sports world, Vaughn was rooting for the golfer to bring back some of his magic at the Valspar championship where he tied for second on Sunday. I loved him and we're still friends. She told sports illustrated earlier this year when asked about Woods. Sometimes I wish she would have listened to me a little more but he's very stubborn and he likes to go his own way. I hope this latest comeback sticks. I hope he goes back to winning tournaments. Wow. It's a little bit of a jab. If you got to, if you think about it. Yeah. But Lindsay's single now. That's what they're implying. They're like, she's single. He's dating some chick now, but she's like, you know, what's up tiger. But yeah. The fact that he, that she said like, sometimes I wish she would have listened to me a little more. That's right. You can't hold tiger back. He's got things to do. And I love the picture they use for, and this is what she was up to then. I'm like, whoa, do you skiing? Yep. Yeah. So I didn't even realize Tiger was coming back, but good for him. <laughs> yeah. You finished second in the tournament. Now, the other thing about this, which I wanted to mention, which I didn't know after all the years of knowing my mom, that she's a Tiger Woods fan. <laughs> oh, really? She like watched the tournament on TV. I'm like, what She's like, oh, yeah, I want to watch Tiger Woods. He did. He hit the ball so great, and he did a putt. I'm like, I didn't know you watched golf. She's like, oh, yeah, I've been watching golf for years. I'm like, she's like, your father didn't want to watch it. I used to watch I, I was the one that always wanted to watch it. I'm like, what? <laughs> so I found out my mom's a golf fan, and there's a Tiger Woods golf fan. I'm like, it's really very weird. Look at that. I have no idea she was into golf. That is awesome. So, Tiger, if you're out there, you want to, you know, make a – 78-year-old woman happy, stop on by. We're in uh, Newport Ritchie. Just let me know. You're not far from Jupiter, right? Isn't that where he is? Yeah, about four hours. But if he's, you know, on his way back from the Valspar, it was right here in Tampa. You know, oh, stop and say hi. There you go. Yeah, his next tournament is going to be Orlando. So that's on the way, too. Just saying. Yeah, maybe you should give back a little bit, Tiger. Get some good karma points. <laughs> but he tied for second. So uh, he's making his big comeback now. He looks good. Dude, that's good to hear. You know, he fell back. He was like in 12th and he came back. Yeah. Oh. 
So you got golf groupies at all ages, bro. That's true. <laughs> She's single. Just saying. <laughs> <laughs> all right. So I guess that, that wraps up the old podcast for the week, eh? Yeah. Yes. And speaking of a, we are going to be heading out to Whistler next week. So what exactly we're going to be doing for the podcast. What's that from? What's that? Strange brew. Strange brew. There you go. I'm going to get some beers. So we have them in. (laughs) I found a mouse in a beer. I got to rewatch that movie. I need a new beer. I need new beers because I found a mouse in my beers. <laughs> they got jobs, honey. They got. I love that movie. That was, I Rick, Mor- movie. That was Rick Moranis, right? It sure was. That was the first time he appeared out in anything, right? Was or, it? S- or SCTV or something before. Yeah. So yes, we are going to be in the Great White North next week. So we're not sure what we're going to do. I don't know. We have intentions of trying to put together a podcast while we're out there, but we'll see. Things, things fall apart. They, sometimes they fall apart rapidly. Usually, especially when we're together, it just kind of spirals out of control. And yeah, it usually tends to be. And you know what? And I'm not there the whole week. I'm only there from Wednesday to Sunday, so I need to kind of maximize my my time there. But Hopefully, we'll be able to pull something off. Worst case, we'll have plenty of pictures posted and tweets and Facebook. Well, I think it's like a good, like it's a good group. Like we got our buddy room out there with the ski club. Nick and Liz are going to be out there. That's going to be kind of sweet. Allegedly, Cody's going to be out there too. Get out of here. Cody's selling. So, yeah, we got a lot of friends that are going to be out there. So it should be kind of cool. Yeah, it's going to be a, a good time. So... Yeah, I think sure. you're staying in the same hotel too, which is pretty funny. Yeah. So be sure to, to, to follow us on, on everything on the socials because we're going to be posting all the time. Lots of fun stuff. Hopefully the snow will be good. Hopefully we'll have good weather. And uh, we are super looking forward to it. So thank you again for listening. Check us out, skibumpodcast.com. Send us an email, skibumpodcast at gmail.com. Be sure to look for all of our posts especially next week, twitter.com slash ski bum podcast, facebook.com slash ski bum podcast, instagram.com slash ski bum podcast, soundcloud.com slash highfalutin, highfalutin dash ski bum. And on Pinterest, we are the highfalutins. So hopefully we'll talk to you next week. If not the week after, and we will give you a heads up and recap of our trip to Whistler. So until then, we will see you next time. Stay high, stay fluid. See ya.